0: the first reading is um, taken from Psalm chapter 80 verses 1 to 19 and that can be found on page 592 of the Church Bibles hear us O Shepherd of Israel you who lead Joseph like a flock you who sit enthroned between the cherubim shine forth before Ephraim Benjamin and Manasseh awaken your might Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will your anger smoulder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us a source of contention to our neighbors, and our enemies mock us. Restore us. O God Almighty, make your face shine upon us, that we may be saved. You bought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches, it sent out its boughs to the sea, its roots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it and the creatures of the field feed on it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you, revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved.
1: second reading is from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45, and is on page 1026 of the Church Bibles, or on the screen in front of you. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Irina, thanks very much for that reading. Uh, please do keep your Bibles open in front of you. We're going to be looking at both those readings, actually, tonight. Uh, but first, we're going to start with the Luke readings, so keep that open in front of you. Well, for those of who may be new, my name is Jit, one of the uh, ministers here on the team. It's great to be here preaching. Uh, for those of you uh, who are new, uh, do make yourselves known to people around you. It would be great to welcome you into say hello properly, and uh, to give you a bit more info, either myself or Mike will be able to do that. Well, before we dig in, let's pray together. Lord, we do give you thanks for your word. We pray now that by the power of your spirit, we might encounter you, the living God, and that we might be changed as a result. In your name we ask this. Amen. 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 The turnip is a fairy tale that is told by the Brothers Grimm about two brothers. One of them is rich, one of them is quite poor, unfortunately. And the poor one decides that he's going to become a farmer, and he plants turnip seeds. And he does fairly well, because one of them grows bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, it's the biggest turnip he's ever seen. And he can't quite believe how big it is. And he has to try and somehow get it into a cart. It's that big. He can't quite get it in. But he manages it. And he wonders, what am I going to do with this turnip? No one's going to want to buy this turnip off me. And it's not going to probably taste very nice to eat. So what shall I do with this turnip? And he has an idea. Well, I think I'm going to present it before the king as a sign of respect. So he, he trundles off with it goes before the king and gives him this turn as a sign of respect. And the king is overwhelmed by this. Sees how humble this guy is and what a wonderful gift he's been given. And the king says, well, I'm going to give to you riches and land. And the brother goes back overjoyed. The richer brother, seeing this, thinks, well, if I try something similar, how much more could I get for presenting something before the king. So he comes with fine horses and changes of clothes uh, before the king, saying, O king, these are yours as a sign of respect. And the king, again, is overwhelmed by this act. And what can he give to this brother as a sign of gratitude? And he can't think of anything else better than the turnip. (laughs) So the rich brother has given the turnip and has to take it home. A bit of a silly story, um, but it illustrates what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're looking at our king who gives blessings. Not because we've cajoled it out of him, not because we've tried to work some kind of deal, but because he's one who blesses. And we're going to be thinking about that theme today. And two really simple points. firstly, Our God is a blessing God. Our God is a blessing God. If you look at the passage in Luke, it's just full of blessing. Three times the word blessed or blessing is mentioned. It's alluded to about five times. And every single person in this reading is blessed in some way or another. Of course, first and foremost, Mary is blessed when she visits Elizabeth. You'll know the Christmas story so far that she's had the Annunciation. Gabriel's come to her and said, you're going to be with child, and it's going to be from God. And that should have been enough for her, but Gabriel says, "As a further sign for you, just to help you believe this. Elizabeth is pregnant. Go and find out. And she trundles off, goes across the hill country of Judea, and finds Elizabeth, and there it is. She is pregnant. Another sign that what God is doing in this generation is miraculous. He's doing something special and real comfort for Mary. And there's a further blessing because spending time with Elizabeth, Elizabeth probably was the only other person on the face of the planet who understood a glimmer of what Mary was going through. Both of them had been dealt with very strangely with God. Elizabeth herself was old and barren and yet given a son to bear. And Mary, of course, was a virgin and young and given a son to bear. The two of them only probably knew what each other was going through, and God arranged it, a time of blessing for Mary to support her in this time. And then it says that Elizabeth is blessed. She says in verse 43, Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She probably knew from Zechariah, probably just writing it on the writing tablet because he was mute at that point, that the person that she was to bear, the son that she was to give birth to, was the messenger that was, would precede the Messiah, John the Baptist. But what she didn't know was anything about the Messiah himself. When was he going to come? What was he going to be like? Which family was he going to appear from? But then Mary appears on her doorstep, and she's filled with the Spirit and realizes straight away, Oh, This is her. This is the mother of the Messiah. And she's overwhelmed by this because she thought she may never get to know about this stuff. She'd probably been waiting and praying like the rest of Israel for many years for the Messiah. And here she is, she's blessed that she gets to meet the mother of Jesus. And you can read into the text and say that even John the Baptist in the womb was blessed. It says that as soon as Mary's greeting reached him, he leapt for joy. He's fulfilling his purpose of pointing towards Jesus even in the womb. And he's blessed as he does that. It's just full of blessing. Everyone here is blessed. And the reason the litany of blessings here exists is something really simple and fundamental about God. That He's a God who loves to bless people. He's full of blessings. In the Greek, the word used here for blessed or blessings is the word... Um, Markarios. Apologies for any ancient Greek speakers here. I'm not very good at pronunciations. But it was used of the state that the Greek gods used to dwell in on Mount Olympus of pure joy and happiness and glory. And of that state alone, no mere mortal was allowed to experience it. It was only for the Greek gods. But here, and with our God, actually, yes, he exists in a place place of complete joy and blessing, experiencing within himself the three persons of the Trinity, blessing each other. But that blessing overflows from him and overspills onto us. We receive that blessing that he lives in, and he gives it to us. In Numbers chapter 6, you'll know that uh, there's a very famous prayer of blessing that uh, God commands the high priestly line to say over the people of Israel. We often finish services here with these words. He commands them to say, The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You'll know those words. But what we often miss is the verse afterwards where it says that by doing so, God says, you will impress my name Upon my people, that actually my name is the God who gives this blessing because I am a blessing God. Interestingly, if you happen to be a Star Trek fan, you don't need to admit it, but whenever the high priest used to give that prayer and blessing, they used to make the following sign. Don't know if you knew that. And actually, Leonard Nimoy stole it off. Uh, the high priests that uh, he got to see in the synagogue when he was younger, the not high priests, the the Jewish priests. But it was that sign, which is the uh, sign for Shin, which is representative of Shekinah, the glory of God resting on his people, the God who blesses with his glory upon his people. ultimately of course we see this blessing in Jesus his son and Luke it says blessed is the child you will bear that he is the blessed one the one who brings the greatest blessing to the world some of you might have been doing some last minute shopping and uh, trying to work out what's the best present for that particular loved one Your brother or your sister or your mother and what would work best for them you're going through it all and you just can't quite work it out and think you fall upon the right one or hopefully you have by now or you will in the next few days there's still time (laughs) you've been searching and you find the right present the theologian carball once spoke about the incarnation like this that god searched out the entire fraternity in the universe to find the best thing he could give humanity and he could find nothing better than himself and so that's what he gave us the best thing himself in the person of his son given to us and continually given to us by his spirit day by day God is full of blessing and I want to ask today is this something that you believe is this something that you treasure is this something that you put faith in that he longs to bless you. See, many hold a view of God that is the complete opposite, that he is mean and frugal, that you have to somehow twist his arm and somehow earn his favour to get his blessing, that he's not the person that the Bible describes as full of blessing and grace upon grace. In A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, you remember that character, Scrooge, who is very rich and could, if he wanted to, make all the difference in various people's lives. And in the novel, you can see lots of people who desperately need some help. And yet, of course, he doesn't, at least to begin with, he doesn't. He keeps it all to himself, mean and uptight, and doesn't want to share with others sadly, sadly, we can hold similar views about God. That yeah, he could intervene, he could change situations, he could bless people, but no, he's just not like that. He's distant and far removed. That's not our God. He's full of blessing for us. In that other well-known Dickens novel, Oliver Twist, you remember that scene at lunch where they're feeding on gruel and uh, he's dead to go up to the master of the workhouse and ask for more and do you remember the line more you want more and of course the answer is no not going to happen get in your place you little urchin you're not having any more with God with our God there is always a positive response to that uh, asking of more he always gives more Luke writes that Jesus said, How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? In Matthew's version, it just says, How much more will God give to those that ask Him? He's not mean and frugal. He's full of blessing for us. Of course, as New Testament Christians, this is rooted in one fundamental fact, and that is that in Christ, we're His children. You're his daughter, you're his son, and he's your father. This week I uh, got my Christmas present from my father, actually. And even though I am a grown adult, and I have been for many years now, um, not as many as some in here, but... He decided to ask me yet again, what would you like for Christmas? And I thought, well, Dad, you've got to stop doing this at some point. Surely you've got to stop asking that question. Surely you've got to stop giving me Christmas. It's getting slightly embarrassing now, especially when I have to use it in a sermon. But, of course, no, he he, he refused. He flat-out refused. And even though he's not even in this country, he sent one nonetheless. Made not a blind bit of difference my age because he's a father. It's in fathers' natures to bless their children. I I'll say for you that you have a father who is the best father. The father from whom every other father is named, the Bible says. And it's in his nature to bless his children. It's in his nature to bless you. He can't help it in one way. He can't grow out of it. He can't fall out of it. He longs to bless you. He's a blessing God. Well, that was the first point. The second Is this and can I invite you to turn back to Psalm eighty, which was on page five hundred and ninety-two. Five ninety. You see, it's true that God is a blessing God, but it's also true that his blessings must be asked for. And that's what we find in this psalm. The context of this psalm is that Israel are being oppressed by foreign powers, and we don't know exactly who they are. It could fit into the many times that this happened. And what they're crying out for is for God to come and bring his blessing in this situation to save them. Interestingly, in verse 3, they use the very words of the number 6 blessing we mentioned earlier, Restore us, O God, and make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. Those very same words. They said, you're the God who said this to us while we're crying out on the basis of that, that blessing that you said to us. And saying, do it, Lord. Do it. We need it. We need your blessing in this situation. It's interesting that in our New Testament passage, no doubt the reason that Mary and Elizabeth experienced such great blessing was because of the prayers of generations before them asking for it, asking for the coming of the Messiah, asking for salvation. No doubt they also were asking as well. And then suddenly, the floodgates opened and they received the blessings they'd been asked for. But they came first from the place of prayer and asking for them. And this is the scriptural pattern. God is full of blessing, but they have to be asked for. They have to be asked for. The great Victorian preacher Spurgeon put it like this. God says to his own son in Psalm 2, Ask of me, and I will give the nations for your inheritance. If the royal and divine son cannot be exempted from the rule of asking that he may have, you and I cannot expect the rule to be relaxed in our favour. God will bless Elijah and send rain, but Elijah must pray for it. If the chosen nation is to prosper, Samuel must plead for it. If the Jews are to be delivered, Esther must intercede. God will bless Paul and the nations shall be converted through him, but Paul must pray. It only comes through asking in prayer for them. I came across recently a very ancient story about uh, kings and queens of England who in the 16th century were believed to have a special ability a gift that they'd been given by God called the royal touch or the divinatus. And this royal touch meant healing for anyone who the queen or the king touched. And so in the 16th century, lots of people made petitions, came before the kings and the queens and said, please, I need your touch, just one touch from you. And it was a counter that the kings would lay their hands and uh, speak some magic words or some special words that we don't quite know what they were, and then off they'd go. We're not sure if anyone was actually healed. <laughs> we're not sure, but it illustrates our point very well. There was a need to actually go before the king, to go before the queen and ask. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. They had to ask. They asked for the blessing and I think part of the reason that our God decrees it this way is because he always wants to give us a double blessing not only the thing that we're asking for but also more of himself in the asking as we draw closer to him in the asking we get the thing we're asking for and more of him and so he encourages us ask for blessings I wonder if you have recently asked for his blessings I went through a phase about a year ago where I just decided every day I was going to ask God for his blessing on my day. And fascinatingly, my days started to change. And it wasn't that it was a self-centered thing. It wasn't that it just inflated my ear. It actually led to God being glorified. It led to me worshiping more. I just recognized, oh, you just did that. Oh, you just did that. Amazing. I didn't even ask for that. He just did that. Thank you. You're just such a kind father to me. Because when you ask, he does open his hand. He does grant his blessings. Well, digging in just very briefly from this psalm, let me suggest us three key principles about asking for his blessing. Then we're actually going to do that together. The first one is this: let desperation lead to intercession. Sorry about the kind of rhyming nature of that. But actually, this psalmist here, Asaph, we think, is desperate. He's absolutely desperate. They're in a desperate situation. And that desperation leads them to their knees and to ask. And it's often desperate situations that finally get us to come to the end of ourselves and to ask God for his blessing. We don't know why, but somehow we find it harder to do in easy times or in times when we, we can be self-sufficient, it's only in those pressured times sometimes that we can be led to that place of prayer. The most famous example of this, I think, in the Bible is the example of Jabez in 1 Chronicles 4. There's a long list of names that seems to be never-ending in that chapter, and then suddenly the story of Jabez appears. You'll know it, and it says that he was born in pain. His mother bored him in pain. And because he was born in pain, his mother decided to call him pain. Jabez means pain. is very kind of the mother. And unfortunately, that name seemed to be prophetic for his life. It just hung over him. And he was taunted by it. He lived under it. It meant awful things for him through the whole of his life. Until he cried out to God for his blessing. He said, O Lord, that you would bless me and that you'd enlarge my borders and that your hand would be upon me and that you'd keep me from evil, that it may no longer cause me pain. And the next verse says, the Lord granted his request. Blessing that just neutralized pain. Let painful times, let desperate times lead you to ask him for his blessing. Secondly, very, I've got to speed up a bit, The psalm commends to us that we need to be persistent in asking for his blessings. Three times in the psalm, the same words are used. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. And three is a very special number in the Hebrew idiom. If you say something twice, it's said with importance. Hence, Jesus says, verily, verily, I say to you. But when you say something three times, it's said with perfection, Hence the cherubim in heaven say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what the psalmist, I think, is trying to communicate to us is that actually asking needs to come that perfect amount of times that brings the blessing. Not just giving up after one time, not even after a second time, but actually even after a third or maybe even fourth and fifth, however many times it takes to move God's hand and to cause it to be opened. And there is holy mystery here. We don't understand why when God knows all that we need and he's a gracious father. But he says, yes, you must. You must keep asking me until I do this, until I open my hand of blessing. And lastly, I think this,